0: Good morning everyone, welcome to Park Community Church, good to be here with you all. Uh, For those of you I haven't met, my name is Trevor, I serve as one of the pastors here in the center region, and it's a joy to be with you all here this morning. Uh, If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and open up to the book of Acts chapter 15, or if you are working on a digital device, go ahead and navigate your way to Acts chapter 15. We're going to be hanging out in verses 36 to 41 of Acts chapter 15 today. So just a small little slice of it at the end there. Uh, So go ahead, make your way there. Wanna give a quick shout out to one of our deacons here at Near North actually, Kelly O'Brien, who was really helpful just in uh, shaping some of the content of this message and just giving some helpful thoughts. So shout out to Kelly for that. And uh, looking forward to jumping into this together. Just a heads up too, we're pretty much just gonna be dropping right into things this morning as well. And uh, it's maybe a little bit of a heavier content, but but ultimately the hope is that it's life-giving. So I'm looking forward to jumping into it. All right, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. The idea I want to explore together this morning is this. The gospel doesn't remove our relational difficulties, but it provides us a path for navigating them. The gospel doesn't remove our relational difficulties, but it provides us a path for navigating them. Meaning the gospel doesn't remove our conflict. It doesn't remove our loneliness. It doesn't remove our relational brokenness. But what it does do is provide us a path for navigating those things. And that's what I wanna explore together this morning in connection with our passage. And so to do that, we do have a table of contents. We got these two points. Uh, I only have five verses, so I could only get two points, but hopefully you give me some grace on that. Uh, We've got biblical community, and then how do we get there? Biblical community, and how do we get there? Those two points. So we'll go ahead and jump into that first one now. And just kind of setting the context as we jump into the passage, we are coming right on the heels of the Jerusalem Council, which takes up uh, the majority of chapter 15 up until our section, where there was this theological disagreement in the early church that uh, had the potential to really have a devastating impact on the health of the church. Uh, And so in response, The leaders gathered in the city of Jerusalem to talk through the issue and to reach a solution, which thankfully they were able to do. Jackson taught on that a couple of weeks ago, and so if you missed that, be sure to check that out. But today, our passage picks up right on the heels of that, but really is opening a new section uh, as we move into the second missionary journey of Paul, the first one having taken place in chapters 13 and 14. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and pick up the passage in verse 36 of chapter 15, and uh, we'll. We'll read that. And after some days, right, that being Luke's cue, that this is a new section in the narrative. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Right, so Paul's suggestion is: hey, let's go back to all of the cities that we visited on our first missionary journey and just check on the churches there and kind of see how they're doing and if we can strengthen and encourage them. And Barnabas uh, loves the idea initially and so their plans are set, they're ready to go until they begin to work through some of the finer details of their journey and a complication arises. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. And so basically they're both set on the idea of the trip that this is something that should happen, it's a good thing for this to take place. But when it comes to who should accompany them on the journey, they could not disagree more. Because Barnabas wants to take his younger cousin, John Mark, but Paul absolutely refuses because John Mark had already come with them on the first missionary journey, but about halfway through, for some reason, he had abandoned them and left to return back home to Jerusalem. And so Paul is resolute, saying, absolutely not. This guy is not coming with us. And when it came to this particular issue, in this conflict, neither one of them was willing to budge. And so, as Luke puts it, this sharp disagreement arises between them, and it goes on to have some pretty severe consequences. As we see in verse 39, we pick this up with me there, and there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches so in this one conflict paul and barnabas after having worked together for years in ministry in this one conflict their differences became so insurmountable that the only way that they could see through it was to separate was to part ways and leave in opposite directions as barnabas took john mark and sailed away to cyprus And Paul takes Silas and travels through Syria and Cilicia. And just like that, Paul and Barnabas, this dream team, these incredibly close friends who had been working together in ministry for years, who had been through so much together, are suddenly torn apart. And never again throughout the entirety of the New Testament do we ever see them working together in ministry again meaning this one single conflict brought their partnership and ministry together to an official close. If their example shows us anything, it's that the gospel does not remove our relational difficulties. It doesn't remove our conflict, it doesn't remove our loneliness, it doesn't remove our relational brokenness. But what it does do is provide us a path to navigate them, which maybe at first isn't the most encouraging news, right? Because if we had it our way, we'd probably just have these things actually taken out, right, to, to have these things removed from our lives and erased from the picture. Because the thing is, nobody likes conflict, right? Nobody enjoys loneliness. These aren't aspects of our lives that we're uh, holding on to in any way. But the connection I'm trying to make here is that the gospel, it does call us into community. And it calls us into relationships. But the thing is, it doesn't do that by removing our relational brokenness, but it does that by providing us with a path to navigate it. Because the truth is, it's only by navigating these things well that we're able to form the kind of relationships in the community that we long for. What I would call true biblical community. We only get there by navigating these things well. That's the only way to form the kind of community where we have a depth of relationships with people to to do life with together, people that you don't just run into them maybe once or twice a month, but they're a part of the regular rhythm of your life. And I think, you know, the truth is we all want that kind of a community. We all want these kinds of relationships and we can see that just, just from the frustration that we feel whenever we're made aware of its absence in our lives, whenever we find that we don't have that, the frustration that we feel, that alone shows the level of desire we have for these kinds of relationships in this kind of community. But I think the thing we need to realize is that this doesn't come easy. In these kinds of relationships in community, they don't happen naturally. Because true biblical community isn't a community where these things don't exist. But it's a community where we respond to the different pieces of our relational brokenness in ways that are consistent and biblical, where we understand and practice what the biblical response is to conflict, to loneliness, to unforgiveness, and to so many of the different aspects of our own relational brokenness, which is why the gospel doesn't remove our relational brokenness, but it gives us a path for navigating it a path to form true biblical community, which is what we all long for. And so what I want to do now with that being the case is just ask the question, well, what does that look like? What does the biblical response look like to these different pieces, to conflict, to loneliness? How are we supposed to navigate this? Or in other words, when it comes to true biblical community, how do we get there? So it's to move into the second point now that I want to explore that. How do we get there? And really through this, I want to take two different, uh, two of the more common experiences that we have and just ask, what does a biblical response look like? And explore that together. The first being loneliness, the second being conflict. So again, I warned you, it was a little heavier today, but but ultimately, I I hope this will prove life-giving for us. And so we'll jump into this first one. How should we respond to the experience of loneliness? How should we respond to the experience of loneliness? I think, first off, it's helpful for us to understand that it's not good for us to be alone. Because fundamentally, we're created for relationships. We can see that throughout the Bible, one of the clearest places being the very opening chapters of it in Genesis one and two, where as everything is being created, as God is making the the land and the sea and the light and the darkness, as everything is coming into being, there's this rhythm uh, and even this pattern to it that God is saying, everything is good, it's good, it's good after everything is made until finally, when you reach the apex of the entire narrative and God makes Adam the first human being, the pinnacle of all creation. But for the very first time, God says, it's not good. It's not good. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Which, if you notice, it doesn't say it's not good for the man to be single. Meaning it's not about... Marriage or, or not being married, because after this, you know, God creates Eve and the first marriage is formed. But He says it's not good for Him to be alone. Because whether we're married or not, ultimately what this reveals to us is that fundamentally we are created for relationships, we need them. Which is why, if you think about it, the gospel doesn't just bring us into a relationship with God, but it also brings us into a relationship with a community. Because the gospel connects us to a church, to a place where we are meant to find the relationships in the community that we need to find our flourishing. The gospel brings us into that. And we can see that, even just through the, the way the New Testament describes, what our relationships should look like uh, th- in the church. One of the, one of the passages being John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus himself says, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, meaning the same love that Jesus expressed to us in the gospel is what we should experience with and extend to one another. That love should mark our relationships within the church and within this community. And then adding to that in Galatians 6, 2, Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, meaning if you're looking for people to do life with, people to bear the burdens of life with together, people to talk through issues and to work out solutions with. If that's what you're looking for, then the place you should be able to find that more than anywhere else is the church. You should be able to find that in the church because the gospel, it doesn't just bring us into a relationship with God, but it brings us into a relationship with a community. It connects us to a church. And honestly, my hope is for those of us who call Near North Home, that some of the closest relationships we have in this life are here, are within this community. I, I hope that we have that, that, that we experience that. And I get that that may or may not be the experience for all of us, but, but this is something that we strive to cultivate and that we work towards as a church. And so I just kind of want to break down what that looks like. Uh, Kind of practically, how do we strive for this? And and it works like this. As a church, we strive to create spaces and structures in which relationships can begin. We strive to create spaces and structures in which relationships can begin. And just a few examples would be uh, serving on a ministry team. where you're serving alongside other people who call the same church home. That's a way for relationships to begin and develop, whether that's in students' ministry or uh, serving in production, whatever it might be. Another one would be our services. The, The fact that we do gather together into one space to worship God, there's a relational element to this. And our hope is that you're not just kind of sliding in and sliding out on a Sunday and are just completely disconnected, but that while you're here, even if just initially, you're able to connect with someone. I thought you're able to begin relationships here in this space. And then the obvious one would be our small groups where you meet with a group of five to a dozen other people about once a week just to discuss scripture, to talk about what's going on in one another's lives and to pray for one another and to help one another, and to do life together. Every one of these is an example of a space or a structure in which relationships can begin. But if you notice, they help relationships to begin, meaning they help them to get started. But when it comes to the kind of relationships that we long for, and honestly that we're called to, it takes more than just signing up, it takes more than just signing up to get there. Uh, But it's about being intentional and taking the initiative with those relationships that are formed initially and beginning to form community out of them. It's like saying, hey, uh, with someone in your small group that you connect with, saying, hey, I'd love to get coffee together sometime. Could we set that up? Or or if you've got, uh, you know, other other friends, say say you've got a friend that has a family. You're saying, "Hey, I'd love to have dinner with your family sometime. Could you? Could we make that happen? Could we set that up?" Or even, "Hey, let's let's get the families together over the weekend. Let's meet up at a park and just hang out for a bit." I take in the initiative to take these relationships that are formed initially and to begin to form community out of them. And I get that in some ways, this can sound intimidating, right? To put ourselves out there like that to risk the possibility of rejection. But I think primarily that the hesitation that we feel around this is because we underestimate the extent to which we'd be welcomed with open arms, if we were to just step out and take these relationships and begin to form community out of them. I think we underestimate the extent to which we all want this because fundamentally we're created for it. We need it. That's how we've been made. And so when it comes to the question, how should we respond to the experience of loneliness? By taking these relationships that are formed initially and by beginning to form community out of them. So that's the first one. Uh, second question now is conflict, right? Moving into this one. How should we respond to relational conflict? Now, I get that, you know, you've been tracking with me to this point. This is more of just kind of like an intellectual curiosity. We'll see what the Bible says. It really doesn't have any relevancy for us, right? Conflict isn't, probably doesn't mark too many of our lives. Is that right? Amen. Amen. There we go. <laughs> no, the truth is, as soon as you begin to pursue community, This question will naturally arise as a felt need because uh, as soon as we begin to have relationships, we also begin to experience conflict. And so how should we respond to relational conflict? That's the question. And the Bible actually gives some pretty clear direction here. Uh, But before we jump into it, I just want to frame this for us a little bit. And, And I want to be clear about what I'm not saying. I want to be clear about what I'm not speaking to. In laying this out, I am not speaking to issues of abuse, right? Because in those situations, there's a different set of rules in terms of the boundaries that are set and the other people that are involved because that's a different kind of situation. And my hope is that if you ever find yourself in that situation, God forbid, that as pastors and elders that you would trust us enough to be able to come to us, even with a trusted friend, and to be able to let us know what's happening so we can come alongside you, so we can care for you and walk with you through that situation. Because honestly, part of our responsibility is to care for you in the midst of situations like that. And so God forbid, if you should ever find yourself in that place, I hope that you would feel able to come to us. But just in terms of more general relational conflict, this is what the scriptures say. Uh, First off, not every conflict needs to be addressed. And there's something to be said for being a people who are marked by a slowness to anger and patience. As Proverbs 19:11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his or her glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his or her glory to overlook an offense. Meaning it's worth considering at the outset whether or not the issue is even something that needs to be addressed because sometimes it's not. Sometimes the best approach is just to, to let it go and to, to choose to give the person the benefit of the doubt, to believe the best of that person. But when it's an issue that requires a conversation, when it's something that you're not able to just let go, you can't just shake it off and it continues to sit with you then in that situation, the Bible actually gives some really clear direction in how we're supposed to navigate that. And there's sort of this four-step approach that Jesus himself gives us in the book of Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. So we're just gonna walk through that together now. The first step comes in Matthew 18, 15, and this is what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, meaning the first step is to have a conversation with the person that you have the issue with. And, and the goal, if you notice, is to win your brother or your sister, meaning to bring the conflict to a place of resolution, meaning the goal is for the relationship to actually grow which isn't exactly what we expect when we think about conflict, that that relationships can grow and be strengthened through it. But when we follow the steps that Jesus has laid out for us, that actually becomes possible. Even conflict becomes an avenue for our relationships to grow. But if you notice, that first step isn't exactly easy, or natural for that matter. If your brother or your sister sins against you, go to them, and tell them their faults alone. Meaning the first step in addressing the conflict is to go to the person you have the conflict with and to have a conversation with them. And I would bet that probably 90% of our relational issues and problems, they stem from an unwillingness to just have this first conversation Right? Because so often I think our tendency can be to, to have a conversation with every other person except for the one that the conflict is actually with before we ever say anything to them at all, if we even do. And that's a problem. Because the thing is, if we were to just follow these steps, 90% of the issues would be over right there and our relationships would be on a completely different level. Right? And, Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that there's no place for seeking wisdom and just some advice on how to have that conversation, but that's something that takes place between you and one or two of your closest friends. But when it goes beyond that, you're not seeking wisdom anymore, that's just gossip. And that's a problem. And so the first step is you have a conversation with that person. You say, hey, can we meet up for coffee or for lunch or or just get together to to talk about something? And then you say, hey, when you did this or or when you said this, this is how that made me feel. That, that that, That felt disrespectful or that broke trust with me or that wasn't right or fair. We speak the truth in love and address the conflict for the sake of the relationship and for the sake of that other person, because the truth is, this is part of how we grow in community as followers of Jesus, right? That's, that's partly why the gospel brings us into community, for this sake right here, so we can have these conversations and grow through them spiritually as we're made aware of areas where we need growth, but then also uh, as, we, as we respond well to these conversations and as we, we realize the areas where we need growth. This is part of how we grow in community. And the thing is, when we have the willingness to step out and have that initial conversation, 90% of the time, the issue ends there and the relationship is strengthened. It's made better 90% of the time. But there is that other 10% where sometimes the conversation goes poorly and resolution is not found. And when that's the case, thankfully Jesus tells us what to do there as well. And so this is the second step that he gives in the process. Matthew 18, 16, he says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so the second step is to have a friend or a couple of friends step into the conflict and act as mediators to help bring that to a resolution, preferably somebody who knows both of you well and can be impartial in the process to help, to help resolve the conflict and bring about restoration. That's step two. When that fails, you move to step three, which is in verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. All right, so the second or the third step is to involve the leadership of the church, assuming the conflict is internal to the church. If the person doesn't actually attend the church or any church for that matter, then the conflict really ends there and you just kind of establish some boundaries until there's repentance, until there's an acknowledgement of the person's role within the conflict, right? And and at that point, restoration would happen. But um, if the person attends the same church, if it's internal, or even a different church, at that point, step three is to bring it to the leaders of the church. Meaning you go to a pastor or an elder so that we can provide some biblical counsel and some wisdom and to help you navigate through it. And a lot of times what that looks like is the elders function as mediators in the conflict to help bring it to a place of resolution. If that fails, then the fourth and final step is something called church discipline where the person who has refused to repent throughout the entirety of the process is removed from membership in the church, which is what Jesus is referring to when he says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, as someone that you still have compassion on and ultimately still want to experience restoration with, but ultimately until there's repentance, they are placed outside of the community of faith and those boundaries are established until there's repentance because the goal is still to bring about restoration. Right, but that's the process, those four steps. Right? Step one, a conversation between the two of you. Step two, a couple of friends act as mediators. Step three, you involve the leadership of the church and the elders act as mediators. And then step four is the final step in church discipline where the person who has refused to repent throughout the entirety of the process is placed outside of the community of faith until there's repentance. That's the process that Jesus himself gave us for navigating conflict within the church. And now let me just say this at, at the end of summarizing all of that, I get that that can sound a little intense and maybe for some of us, it just, it even kind of strikes us as strange that this process is so like delineated and there are such kind of clear cut steps. But let me just say this conflict is inevitable. And if you have a relationship with even one person, you will experience conflict, and we can run from that and try and handle it in our own way. But the truth is, it's only by navigating conflict well, with these steps that Jesus has laid out for us, that we're able to form the kind of relationships and community that we long for. It's only by doing this well. because the gospel doesn't remove our relational difficulties. It doesn't erase our conflict but it provides us a path for navigating it, right? and, and so as we get ready to close here, let me just say one last thing. It's, it's not my intention in laying this out to make it seem like handling these things is easy because the truth is it's not, right? Navigating conflict and loneliness, that's never easy because these things are, they're difficult, right? It's not simple and I'm not trying to pretend that it is, but at the same time, I think it's also worth just trying to get under the hood a little bit and ask the question, why is this so difficult for us? Why is it so challenging to just follow the steps that Jesus has laid out for us? And there are a number of different directions that we could go here, but I think, I think one of the primary ones for a lot of us is that the difficulty is wrapped up in this tendency to not want to disappoint someone or even to upset them, kind of this people-pleasing tendency where we're afraid that if we do address the conflict, we're afraid of what their response will be. We're afraid of what will happen. And that leads us to let some things that really need to be addressed slide. And to some extent, I think that's also what can keep us in isolation because when it comes to the thought of putting ourselves out there and exposing ourselves to the possibility of rejection, in order to form relationships, that's something that, that brings up fear as well. And in both cases, we're refusing to engage in the way that scripture would have us because of fear. But the question is, what are we more afraid of? Submitting ourselves to a little relational difficulty on the way to community or of living a life where the richness and the depth of relationships and community that the gospel invites us into is something that we never experience, something that we never enjoy, something that ultimately we are never a part of in this life, all because we were too unwilling to submit ourselves to a little relational discomfort and to engage in these ways. Because the truth is there's something to fear in either direction And Jesus died, not just to reconcile us to God, but also to reconcile us to each other, to form true biblical community. Because the gospel doesn't remove our relational difficulties, but it provides us a path for navigating them and a path to form true biblical community. And so church, my hope is that we'll walk that path together Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for the time together this morning. Uh, We thank you for the the community that we already have here. We know that that's um, just been kind of one, one aspect of the richness of experience for people who've called Park home for such a long time. And so we do thank you for the community that is already here. Uh, We thank you for the way that you've created us, that we are designed for community, we're meant for relationships, and we thank you that your gospel, it doesn't just connect us uh, to you, which of course we thank you for first and foremost, but we thank you that it also does bring us into a community in the context in which we can find our flourishing, where there's a richness and a depth of relationship, and really so many of the joys of this life are found and experienced in the context of relationships. And so we thank you for that. And we do ask that you would continue to stir in us, to grow us as followers of Jesus, and that uh, as you do so, you would bring about such a richness of community here and a depth of relationships that, that there would be marked, we would be marked by such a joy uh, because of the relationships that are formed here. And so we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.